Welcome to another edition of Our Law and Gospel Devotional. My name is Eric Sorensen. I'm a pastor here at Hillside Church in Roxbury, New Jersey, as well as a contributor to 1517 in numerous ways throughout my week. It's good to be here with you again as we discover God's two words throughout all of the scriptures. Uh, usually what we do is we look at the upcoming passages for this Sunday's lectionary, and then we hone in on one of those texts. Usually there's four of them, and we hone in on one and focus on what it has to say to us and where God's two words are. So uh, speaking of that, let's go ahead and dive right in to what we need to talk about today. Uh, first of all, let's take a look at those various lectionary texts that I talked to you about. Uh, well, if I could describe what this fifth Sunday after Pentecost really is all about, it would be that God's it would be about God's faithfulness to the afflicted, or maybe God's continual promise of rescue to those who cannot rescue themselves, as is illustrated by this picture of Jesus reaching down into the water to get the drowning Peter. And so first we see in Psalm 30, it says, O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. And I can't help but, but think when I th uh, think about the psalmist crying out from this ditch of the movie 127 Hours, in which James Franco's character is indeed doing the same thing. I won't give away any spoilers, but, uh, you know, if you haven't seen the movie, you have to figure out, well, if he ends up getting out of the ditch at all. But nevertheless, God promises and the psalmist praises God for the fact that he's delivered from such a mess. Then you have 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9 that really talks about God's provision through affliction, even using people that are afflicted to help others that are in need. So it's a great illustration of how God is not limited to just those who are feeling good or, or who have a lot in order to provide for others, but he even uses those who are in the midst of affliction or depression or despair. More on that in a little bit. Matter of fact, the picture that I have for you connected to this slide is of a man who, well, gained a little bit of fame in upstate New York because he just went around to random strangers and handed each of them a $100 bill for no particularly good reason, except that he just wanted to and wanted to be generous and bless others. And then, of course, the gospel text, which most sermons will be on this Sunday, is Mark 5, 23 through 45, which is all about God's healing from affliction with the very moving story of Jesus going to the home of Jairus and coming to his daughter who had died and saying to her, little girl, I say to you, arise. And indeed, she rises from the dead. So it's a very compassionate picture of God's coming to us, even in the midst of our greatest enemy, death. But what we're going to look at today is the Old Testament passage because, well, it's from one of my favorite Old Testament books. Now, that you might be a little baffled by the fact that I like this book so much. But yes, one of my favorite Old Testament books is from is Lamentations. And specifically, the passage that is read this weekend is Lamentations 3. And if there's any way I could describe that, it's God's word for the depressed and afflicted, as we see illustrated for us in Rembrandt's painting of Jeremiah as he laments over the city. Speaking of Jeremiah, a little context, the prophet who wrote Lamentations is Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet and for good reason. His homeland has been destroyed by Babylon. Babylonians have taken his people into exile. And frankly, it seemed like it felt like God had kind of abandoned them. And so the Bible doesn't shrink away from talking about the reality of depression and despair as Jeremiah so 
eloquently shows us throughout his writings. There's a reason he's called the weeping prophet. A more modern example of what despair or depression might sound like, well, could be found in a quote from, from a famous Midwestern lawyer. He was, uh, his friends became so concerned about his safety and his health, uh, fearing that he might actually take his own life due to his depression, that they actually hid knives and any sharp objects from him at the time so that he wouldn't hurt himself. And he's quoted as saying, I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode, forebode I shall not. Famous Midwestern lawyer in the 19th century. The Bible does not hide reality. Listen to uh, Jeremiah in Lamentations 3, verses 16 through 20. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is, so I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. This sounds like the words of a man battling severe despair or depression. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. In other words, Jeremiah is noting what the 1990s film told us sometimes, that reality bites. And Christians are not immune from this feeling sometimes and from this struggle. Listen to St. Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Yes, Christians are not immune from at times feeling like they need to tap out. They, need, they, they don't have anything left. I mean, St. Paul himself says he felt like it was over for him. He was ready to die. He's ready to tap out as Steve Austin does in this picture. Again, Christians are not immune. When we look at the history of the church, we know that some of our great spiritual heroes indeed were afflicted with despair in periods of depression. Martin Luther uh, famously dealt with Anfectungen, which is really the, the, the way it's described sounds a lot like what people go through when they are depressed. William Cooper, the famous author of There is a Fountain, uh, was was often des described as a madman because he would go through such serious bouts of depression and thoughts of suicide. And Charles Spurgeon, a man known by some as the Prince of Preachers, well, struggled mightily with depression. He wrote, Once my spirits were sunken so low that I could weep by the hour like a child, and yet I knew not what I wept for. He referred to it as, as shapeless, undefinable, yet all beclouding hopelessness that cannot be reasoned with. He said, fighting this type of depression is as difficult as fighting with mist. And so it is not unheard of among Christians to go through the very same feelings of despair and very same feelings of challenge. And so the question comes, well, why does it happen? Well, to put it simply, because we're all part of a fallen creation and we're not immune from the other things that come with being a part of fallen creation. Just as we will die, just like those who don't believe will die, so we will have periods where we will suffer from depression or despair. Indeed, some of us will have clinical depression and may need medication to help with it. It's just a reality of being in a, 
in a body of flesh, as Paul refers to it in Romans chapter 7. The, the way Paul describes our condition, you can find, I think, pretty accurately in Romans 8. There he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Yes, we are not immune from the pain, whether mental or physical. We can be prone to the same struggles as anybody else. And yet, and yet, acknowledging that reality, that's not Scripture's only word, because there is hope. And as Red reads from Andy Dufresne in Shawshank Redemption, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. And so suddenly a different word breaks through in Lamentations 3, and this is one of the big reasons it's one of my favorite books. But for the first two and a half chapters, it is nothing but depression. And really for the last couple chapters, it's nothing but depression. But right in the heart of the letter, right in the heart of the writing in Lamentations 3, suddenly it's as if, well, just a different word comes in, a good news word filled with hope. Because Jeremiah says right afterwards, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And it doesn't end there. Jeremiah continues to go on meditating all of a sudden on the goodness and faithfulness of God, even in the midst of exile, despair, pain, and depression. Jeremiah's hope is still firmly anchored in the Lord, even though we know he's not feeling good at the moment. It's as if he's reset by God's promises. And speaking of God's promises, you may have heard this one quoted from time to time. God will never give you more than you can handle. I would imagine many of us have that printed on the side of a mug. Or maybe, on, maybe we've put it on Instagram. God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, folks, we need to clear up something. That is false. It just is. God will frequently give us way more than we can handle. Indeed, when we go through periods of depression, when we go through periods of struggle, as Jeremiah did, he couldn't handle it. Paul said he couldn't handle it in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, despairing of life itself. So what do we, Now you say, well, what about that passage in Corinthians where it says God will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear? Ah, but remember, that's about being tempted to sin. God will never tempt you into sin. No, no, there's going to be times, as a matter of fact, a lot more than we may recognize that we can't handle it. And it's kind of designed that way, folks. We're meant to be dependent. We're meant to be reminded regularly. Yeah, I can't take it. And so a better way of saying things is God will never give you more than he can handle because that is, in fact, true. When Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, well, that means we can trust him to take away the burden. That means we can trust him to handle it. God's ultimate plan for the depressed, Jeremiah goes on, 
For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. He continues in verse 55 of that same chapter, chapter 3. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause. O Lord, you have redeemed my life. And indeed, Jesus Christ has done the same for us. He has redeemed our lives from the pit, and he has made it so we have to look forward to a heavenly kingdom where there will be no more tears and no more pain and no more shame and no more depression. No more. No more despair. It's going away, all thanks to what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf at his cross through his life, death, and resurrection. God's plan is ultimately to provide help for us. Luther illustrates this well. Dr. Luther's advice to one despairing man went like this. Cease relying on and pursuing your own thoughts. Listen to other people who are not subject to this temptation. Give the closest attention to what we say and let our words penetrate to your heart. Thus God will strengthen and comfort you by means of our words. Oh, how important it is for us when we're going through despair or depression to get out of our own heads, to have others come around us and carry us when we can't walk ourselves. Again, another piece of advice from Dr. Luther to a despairing man. Therefore, my dear friar, learn Christ and him crucified. Learn to praise him and despairing of yourself. Say, Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness, just as I am your sin. You have taken upon yourself what is mine and have given to me what is yours. You have taken upon yourself what you were not and have given to me what I was not. He, can, he continues, beware of aspiring to such purity that you will not wish to be looked upon as a sinner or to be one. For Christ dwells only in sinners. Yes, come as you are to the one who has died for you and promised to carry you. That's, that's what we get. That's what gets us through the really challenging, hard stuff. His faithfulness to us, as each passage illustrates. Now, I, I want to close up this devotional by saying God will stay with you and use you even in the midst of depression and despair. And I'm going to give an example here that I realize can sound triumphalistic, and I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't give the example to uh, sort of paper over the problems. The reality is we might struggle with depression or despair for our lives, for our whole lives, and it might not ever uh, get just rosy all of a sudden or feel better and you know drastically change. It might be a struggle for us with our, our whole lives. I recognize that. Nevertheless, people that do struggle with this can and will still be used by God in their various vocations. I know it. Let me refer back to the quote I talked to you about at the beginning of our devotion today about the man who had to have the knives and sharp objects hidden from him by his friends because they were so afraid he was going to take his own life. The man who said, I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode I shall not. Well, that, that famous Midwestern lawyer who was in the very depths of depression and despair was named Abraham Lincoln. 
Yes, it's it's not it's not it's not our depression that defines us. It is Christ and him with us that defines us. It is not our despair that defines us. It is God's faithfulness to us that defines us. And it is God working in us and through us, often in spite of us, that defines us. It is Jesus saying, we are forgiven, children of God, that defines us. And that is where we find hope. I hope that is encouraging to you today. I hope that you have found some solace from God's word for the times of challenge and difficulty that inevitably will come to all of us as we live out our days. May God richly bless you. Have a great week. Look forward to seeing you next Tuesday.